Hello, welcome to the Culture Hot Pot, a podcast about the human experience through the lens of culture. Today, we'll be speaking with Dair Arauz Thomas. He is a people systems and data geek, a blockchain enthusiast, and a digital nomad celebrity. Welcome, Jair. Nice to have you here. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I don't actually know you personally. We've talked before. A mutual friend said, you know what? You have to talk to this person I know. I went to Instagram. I went to your LinkedIn. And I'm like, oh, my God, this guy is really cool. And a little bit of an enigma for me, because just looking at your social media profile, I was wondering, who is Jair? Is he a techie guy that's into people? Or is he a people person that's into tech? So yeah, that's the first thing that jumped out for me from looking at your social media profile. And I'd like to know. Oh, that is that is a very good question. Um, I tend to tell people about specifically this about me because it's a weird mix. I studied HR because I love people. I also spent a lot of the earlier part of my career working in tech, and I also love tech. I have been influenced by a lot of people in my life who were into tech since I was a kid, and it was always very um, close to me and very available. So I love technology, but I think that I'm somewhere in the middle, you know, like I'm sometimes like what they call an ambivert. Sometimes I'm very extroverted. I love being around people. I love talking to people, meeting new people. And at the same time, I need to recharge and I want to be in my bubble. So HR tech is the best of both worlds. You know, it's kind of like you get the people and then sometimes you get to work in your own bubble, you know, like without people distracting you. So, yeah. I can relate. I'm a little bit like that also. I'm sometimes I like to have my quiet time, especially in the mornings. Mornings, I'm not so much a people person. But as the day goes by, then I love to be around people. It's very strange. And then in the night, I'm like, I need to go back. I, so I, I understand. I understand the feeling. <laughs> So you're so much into tech and uh, blockchain and all these new technologies. How and now with AI and this big conversation about that, people that are pro, people are that against, what is your view about not necessarily AI, but technology in general and its role in how we live well, I believe technology is a tool, you know, like as anything in life, a tool is only as good as good as the use you give it. So if you use the tool for good, if you use it as an enabler, as a way of augmenting people and making us more efficient, um, making knowledge more available to people, I think that it's great if you use it like that, if you use it to um exclude other people or to manipulate markets or the economy, then it's not as good. Um, but I think that, you know, it's it's up to us to really 
define how we are going to use it. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts about, you know, like the future of AI, the, the future of HR. And this is something that is, it's, it's a very common topic. It's, it's a recurring topic because I think there is a lot of fear about this. Um, but I think that ultimately, I choose to believe in people and I choose to believe that we as a, you know, like humans, we want the best for ourselves and for the future. So I think we will be fine. So you're the optimist. Because I have, um, when I speak to people, there's very polarizing and very opposite opinions about that. And it's quite interesting. Um, yeah. You have a very interesting career. How was your career progression? How did it happen? Did you fall into it by chance or did you purposefully sought this path into making the merge between people and technology? Oh, this was the most random thing ever. I, I would say I wouldn't have seen this coming. Um, I'm not unique in any way. I think that this is the case for many people. People kind of like find their path. Sometimes the path finds them. Um, I started working for for different, like in all kinds of industries. I, I worked at call centers. I worked as tech support. I worked in technology in IT. I worked in relocation. Um, once I learned about relocation, then I learned about multinational companies. It opened a new perspective of, you know, like the opportunities that were out there. I started working for multinational companies. I worked um, in technology for an NGO as well. I used to work for Save Children. And I think that from there, um, at, at that point, I was already studying HR, but I had been working in technology for a while. And I think that that kind of showed me that that was the path that I wanted to follow. And I just continued down this path and I found like very good balance in people technology because it scratches two different kind of itches. What I'm getting from you is you're a very curious person that likes to explore different possibilities. Is that... I am super curious, yes. Is that curiosity what drove you to move into what I call the dream lifestyle? Because maybe that's something I'd love to do, of becoming a digital nomad. Now, I see this more and more, and, but it's usually more the younger generations that are doing this, more than the older generations, and it really depends also in um, what countries they're from. Europeans, some North Americans are now starting to be more digital nomad, but other more, let's say, traditional societies, people are not so open of going out there. So, yeah, so I'd like to know what drove you to suddenly say, hey, what if I do my job and I want to travel the world? 
Yeah, this is this is so interesting because I think that there is just not a single source of inspiration, but many, like so many. Um, I would say that the first source of inspiration would be at home. My dad, for instance, he is from a place in the interior of Panama. He moved to Panama City and he moved around when he was younger, um, lived in different parts of the country. But taking the risk of moving somewhere else, that takes courage. And I could see that he grew a lot and he learned a lot from that. Same thing with my grandmother. She was originally from Costa Rica and she moved to Panama. One of my aunts, she was uh, working for the Ministry of Commerce and Industry in like in uh, free trade agreements. And she used to travel all over the world negotiating free trade agreements with different countries. So I don't know. I think that it was just like at home already. I had so many people to draw inspiration from. Another uncle went to work for a project in Vietnam for a while as well. So I think that, you know, like from people very close to me, I already had a lot of inspiration. Then as I was growing up, I met more people, friends that worked for multinational companies, friends that moved to Panama looking for, for a better future, people who like moved, they went, got a job, then they started their own companies, like completely different paths. Eventually you start to realize like, hey, you know, like this is not so far-fetched, you know, like this is something that is attainable. Um, I got married as well. At one point, my wife is Finnish. And before living in Panama, she lived in Egypt. She lived in the UK. And, you know, it's just like, when you see that you have so many people around you <laughs> that took the risk, it's kind of like, why not? Let's give this a try. I I must say that it, the whole idea did not start as, oh, I'm going to become a digital nomad. My plan at one point um, with my wife was, okay, we will find a way to work remotely and then move to Spain because we like life in, in, in Spain in general. We were like, okay, this is, this is the plan. But as I was telling you, you know, like sometimes the path that you draw can be a little bit elusive and things did not happen in that way. So I ended up moving to UK first. And after a while, the pandemic hit. And in the middle of the pandemic, then we became digital nomads. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been fun. Um, but yeah, definitely not something that was planned. It just happened little by little. Cool. So you move around a bit. Question is, now that you've been a couple of years out from place to place, where do you call home? The fun answer that I give everyone is that home is where I, where I have the, the password for the Wi-Fi. But honestly, um, I'm not the type of person who's very attached to things or places. So I also don't miss people because if I feel like I'm missing someone, 
I'll just grab the phone and I'll call you. And then I'm like, okay, I'm good. I don't miss you anymore. And I can keep in touch with tons of people regardless of where they are. So home is basically wherever we are. You know, like if it, right now I'm in Spain and this is home for now. And in a couple of months, I will be in Hungary, in Budapest, and that will be home. And then it will be Greece. And, you know, like that's that's just how it is. Fabulous. So I'm very curious because I am fascinated with this lifestyle again, wondering how it feels, whether home and base is the same, right? You can have, this is where I'm staying. This is my base. Tomorrow I'm going to go to this country, but I'm going to come back to this base or home. Is that something that you look or it's just like you just go with the flow? I don't think I have a base right now. Um, in the very beginning of this whole nomadic journey, it was a little bit rocky. And I'll, I'll tell you something, because people sometimes think that things just go so smoothly and everything is so easy. Um, I actually started planning this whole thing and I was working in the hospitality industry. So I was laid off. Luckily, my boss had already quit and she was going into another company and she brought me with her. So I just finished working in one place and started working in the other place. But, you know, like it was just by chance. But it was kind of scary for a while because it makes it feel like, hey, you know, like things can change from one moment to the next. And you don't know how things will happen. So in the very beginning, we even had a storage unit in the UK. And that was the base because it was kind of like, like, I don't know. I think that in the very beginning, it was scary because you felt like, okay, like I need to have a place to go back to. I don't know. At, at some point, we just committed to the lifestyle and we said, okay, we're getting rid of, of the storage unit and we'll just pack light and just live minimalistically. and. That's it, you know, but it really depends on the person. It's it's really a, a personal preference on how you want to do it. Right. So a little bit about you and this lifestyle. I can imagine it's not a lifestyle for everybody, depending on personalities and personal preferences, etc. What are the characteristics or traits that Jair has that makes him thrive in this environment and in this lifestyle? Okay, I'll, I'll put it like this. Sometimes I say this as a joke, but I think it's very true. Being from Panama, and I would say that this is probably the case for many people in Latin America, we live in a lot of uncertainty. Um, you live with you live in places in which things don't really work exactly in the ways that they should processes are not very straightforward so you become more adaptable like because of that like in my case i would say that if things don't turn out the way that i expect i will not panic that really helps and a couple of months ago, for instance, 
we were flying to the UK a couple of days before because I like I tried to book stuff way in advance, like six to eight months in advance. I already know where I'm going to be, and I book everything so so that I'm ready for for arriving and, and making sure that I'm going to be comfortable. And it turns out that there was a problem with the Airbnb in UK, and it is very hard to find a place in UK. First of all, it is super hard to find a place for two whole months and our Airbnb was canceled. I didn't know where I was going to stay and I panicked for 10 seconds. I do panic, but it's just like, it just goes away very fast. Okay, let's fix this. I actually found an Airbnb and I booked it as I was landing. We landed, they said, you can switch on your your mobile devices and stuff. So. I switched on my, like, removed the airplane mode, and I booked the Airbnb as I was landing. And I was very lucky, but it's good if you're you're not panicking because you can get very stressed in that moment. So I would say that is something that helps a lot. That and the fact that I try not to compare too much between one place and the other. I try to enjoy whatever the place where I am has to offer. Some places have better weather. Some places will have a beach. Other places will have better food um, or architecture or entertainment or, um, I don't know, better cocktails or whatever, you know, like it can be anything. Um, And it's very hard to find everything in the same place. So as long as you're focused on, okay, I'm going to, get as much of what this place has to offer without focusing on the things that it doesn't have, then you're good. Fabulous. So what's your secret to your two secrets to not being panicky? Because yeah, that, that happens a lot. People panic and then they get stuck in the panic, right? How do you move past that? That's what I'd like to know your secret number one. And second mm-hmm. is how do you be the eternal optimist in this situation? It's a single answer for both of your questions. And it's going to sound super crazy. But the reality is that I am able to move past the panic and I'm able to stay optimistic because I realize that I'm going to die one day. And... (laughs) And listen, it makes sense. It makes sense. So the thing is, I know that I am going to die one day. And I know that my time in this world is finite. I know that I cannot get hung up or caught up in these little moments. Because I know that even if they are uncomfortable, it is very unlikely that they will cause my death. So... I have to live with that. And when I look back at this moment in, I don't know, five years, even now, because um, the whole thing with the, with the apartment happened in, what, March. So just a couple of months ago. And I don't feel that, that stress that I felt back then. That is such a, such a distant memory of, you know, like stress. So it's like, why am I going to carry this? Like, why am I going to to be stressed 
over this thing when it's not going to matter. It was stressful probably for the two or three days that we were calling Airbnb support and trying to find a new place and, and stressing about this. But once we figured it out, okay, it's done. Why am I worrying for? So that's it. It's because I, I know that I'm going to die. And it's it's really crazy, but <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> that's it's, the answer. I like it. Yeah, I know I'm going to die, but this is not what's going to kill me. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, the next question I have is related. What tips and advice would you give to people that are now starting into exploring working remote and going somewhere else as a digital nomad? It's very difficult to give advice on this because digital nomad is kind of like a a blanket term that we use for remote workers. You can be a digital nomad and maybe you live somewhere and you decide, okay, I'm going to work in from another country for one month, or I'm going to work in my own country, but I'm going to be at my beach house. For me, that is just as valid. There are people who start businesses or get a job or, you know, like, I think that it's, it's so difficult to, to kind of like give advice for everyone. What I would say is you should try to understand yourself and what is it that you need. In the very beginning, I didn't really understand like what I wanted to get out of this. And we were traveling so much that I told my wife at some point, I'm tired of seeing things. I just want to stay in one place for a while and I need to rest because I I felt that this hunger for discovery was dying because I was just overwhelmed. Um, So I think understanding the, the speed at which you want to move is key. So yeah, just understanding what you want to get out of this. Nice. Well, listeners, now you know. Where do you see this moving forward in terms from the company side? Do you see industries moving more and more towards remote work, hybrid work? How do you see that happening? Because there's a lot of differences in opinions and uh, dynamics between the different generations. And how do you see the industries adapting to this new reality? This is a tough question. I think that there are some some fields and some industries that are more accommodating when it comes to remote work. Some of that is is because of of the labor market and and what people are demanding. So, for instance, people in technology they are in high demand. They were actually in higher demand before. Now things are a little bit chaotic for for the technology industry. But um, but I believe that it is not going to be something homogenous across you know like all industries and all fields. There are those who think that it is not fair because 
you have people like knowledge workers, which are more likely to be able to do all of these things from home. And there will be other workers that need to be in, in a place. So for some people, it is not fair. Um, it's still a very complicated topic. I, I think whatever I'm going to say would be probably wrong. <laughs> so I, 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 I wouldn't want to, to necessarily speculate about the future of this. I can tell you what I hope things would be and what I hope things would be is if you want to work remotely, there are options out there. I think that some companies, even when they are offering hybrid jobs for the right talent, they might be willing to turn that into a fully remote job. So I hope that this happens more and more. For people who work remotely, it is almost like our duty to make sure that we deliver great results, that we are not slacking, that we are definitely getting the benefit of working remotely. Because for some people, it will be, you know, like some people need to take care of someone. Some people might have a disability. So the reasons for someone to work remotely are not the same. But for some people, it might mean the difference between working and not working. So what I hope is that this becomes something that more and more people can do because it, it just opens possibilities. It just creates a more diverse workforce. You have people that may not have access to the opportunities or people who may have just a completely different perspective now becoming part of a team. And that helps a team grow. So that is what I would hope. But in terms of what's going to happen, I have no clue. Fair take. And I like that, how you're saying it, that a lot of people are not talking about is the opportunity for people that are usually not able to get into a workforce in the traditional sense because of life situations such as, you know, they're, they're a caretaker or... As you say, they have a disability, they can't move around that that often. So absolutely, I like that point of view and like that, that you've shown a light on that part of the possibilities of remote work. Thank you. And um, yeah, I'd like to ask you a question because last time we talked, you had a very interesting, let's say, philosophy in life in how you see time the concept of time. Oh, time, time, time. I love talking about time because <laughs> I feel time is, is a tool. Time is something that we use for us to be here at the same time, just, you know, like having this conversation so we can say, hey, if, if you're going to a restaurant, we'll be there on Thursday at 8 p.m. And then we can meet in that place. It's great that we can do that. At the same time, I don't think that time is a great way to measure many things. Like age is something that, you know, like some people get a little bit too 
focus on, too worried about. But, you know, like when you really think about it, for instance, I am not big on celebrating my birthday. I feel that we are basically floating on a rock around the sun. And whenever we go for a full lap, we celebrate. And it makes no no, no sense for real. Like it's, it's just kind of like something that we do. And it, yes, it feels good. And for the sake of using the cycles for, you know, like if you need it for motivation, like, hey, it's a new year. I am going to, to start a diet because it's a new year. Well, good for you. If you can use it for that, that's fine. But I think that if I want to start doing something, I'm just going to start whenever I feel like doing it. If I want to start a diet, I'm going to start today. If I want to start working out, I'm not going to start on Monday. If it's if it's Thursday, I'll just start on Thursday because, you know, like if you want to give someone a gift, you don't have to wait for their birthday or for Christmas. Many things can happen in one year. And for some person, it might be that you just lived a very uneventful year. And for another person, you might have lived through a million different things. Like maybe you moved to another country and you had a kid and you had a, a graduation. Um, so many things can happen, good and bad. And the thing is that time is just not a good way of measuring in life. It's better to think of experiences and what the things that you're actually doing as a way of measuring life. And yeah, I we just keep using time for, for meeting our friends, which is always nice. Time for appointments. Everything else, enjoy life. Love it. Exactly. <laughs> so to wrap it up, I'd like to ask you a question that I find fascinating. If you can go back to your 20-year-old self, and you can give yourself only one piece of advice, what would it be? It can only be one. It's so Just hard. One. Uh, <laughs> if it has to be one, I would say to focus on discovering yourself. Um, focus on, on finding out what you want from life. This is because I feel that, you know, like it's it's very easy to, to think that what you want from life is what you see around you. And some people are lucky to have a, a broader perspective because they have more people around them. I think that in terms of the type of life that I want to, to live, um, where I want to live that life, um, what I want to do for work, all of those things were shaped way later and not because they weren't there already, but because I felt that if I just live this, like a life similar to what the rest of the people around me were living, it would be fine. Okay. They, they seem pretty happy, you know, like there were things like traveling. Now this this generation is way more hungry for for discovery for traveling. But I started traveling a little bit late. 
it was simply because, you know, like none of my friends were interested in traveling. Me today, like if I knew that, I would be like, okay, I'm just going alone. This is what I want to do. So I would say, yeah, uh, discover yourself. Yeah, I feel the same. I hear you because when I was younger, I was a little bit clueless. Clueless to about myself, as you say. Who am I? What do I personally like versus, oh, I'm this person in this world and interacting with the world. There was, uh, it took some time for me before I realized what introspection can do. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Thank you, Jaid. Thank you for your time. It's been a fabulous conversation. And um, yeah, my little place of commercial here for my listeners is, listeners, if you have not done so yet, please subscribe so you can follow the podcast for new episodes. Gracias, gracias, Jair. Bueno, Cristina, un placer. Igualmente. Gracias por invitarme.